you open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, while you're turning there, I was thinking about uh, lunch that we're going to have after the service. Not this moment. I wasn't thinking about eating. <laughs> I was thinking about this yesterday. Uh, however, um, I was just trying to think about it. You know, so when we get together and we eat, how is it, as Christians, we can do so to the praise of God? Because, you know, we already do everything to the glory of God. And... Uh, so I was thinking about this, and uh, I'm serious about this. This is really cool. Number one, you know, when we go back there to eat, thank goodness food smells really great. And you know, it is God who has given us the ability to smell all those things and enjoy that. There's no reason for us to have that, except it gives us a lot of pleasure. It's just awesome. And God's given people the ability, not everyone, but most, have the ability to figure out how to put things together so that it actually smells good uh, and it's presentable. And we like how it looks, especially certain foods. It looks fantastic. And God's, again, given us that ability to create food, present food, and receive food that way. And then there's the taste, as well as the texture. I mean, sometimes we don't like certain foods because of the texture, but other times, whatever your favorite food is, you also would have to agree that not only do you like the taste, you like the texture, whether it's crunchy or whatever. I mean, it's, man, that is so great. So we should be thinking about that when we eat and pass it on to our children. You know, my daughter's out of town, and so we were watching her dog. I was watching the dog eat. You know, it would be unusual for the dog to take the first bite and just kind of go, it's not bad. And it doesn't matter if you give that dog dog food or you give it your favorite f- fried chicken. They, they just kind of like, there's just no enjoyment. And we don't ever say, dude, you need to slow down. <laughs> Enjoy that. But we expect that with each other, and we should. And that really, that's like, we sometimes overlook that. That is, all of that is a gift from God. It's fabulous. I don't know about you, but I'm really happy he did. Now, sometimes we're too happy about that. You know, we need to kind of control ourselves. And that's why God also says there's self-discipline and all the rest. But I was just thinking about that. And so, and so you, hopefully you think a little bit about that as we eat together. And so it's not, it's not only that we enjoy each other's company, which we do and we should, but we, it's not a sin to really love and dig the food. It's just, mm, yes. And uh, so anyway, just some thoughts so we can... Think more about the Lord as we eat that. Whatever's back there, it'd be awesome. And if you haven't planned on eating, just stay and eat. There's, there'll always be plenty, and if there's a not, if, and if there's not, there's still plenty, because we should all share, because we're Christians. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your grace and your kindness, and really, Father, for all the incredibly and wonderfully good things that you do for us. And we do pray, Lord, that you would help us to never overlook anything that you have provided for us, because, Father, everything truly does come from you. And Father, as we continue our worship of you this morning, we do pray and we ask you to help us as it comes to your word. That Father, we read it as we think about it, as we meditate upon it. We pray, Lord, that as always, it would be truly beneficial and profitable to us. And that Father, be used by your spirit to not only challenge us, but to change us. That we would continue to become different, become more like your son, Christ, in every way. We know, Father, from your word that you are here with us. And for that, again, we are grateful. And so we ask, Lord, again, that you bless our time in your word and that we should focus as we ought to. 
And we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. Paul writes, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy the Holy Spirit, so that you came, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia, who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out, so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Verse 6 again from the Amplified reads this way, And you set yourselves to become imitators of us and of the Lord himself. For you welcomed our message in spite of much persecution, with joy inspired by the Holy Spirit, so that you became a pattern to all the believers, those who adhere to, trust in, and rely on Christ Jesus in Macedonia and in most of Greece. Last week, we began to look at, really, discipleship and what that is and how we are to think about discipleship. Those two verses in the Amplified, I think, really bring out to us in a very rich way what it is that we are to be thinking about, what it is that we are to be doing, that we are to become imitators of those who are spiritually mature, as well as imitators of God himself, of the Lord Jesus, and also as we live our lives, that we are to become a pattern to all those who believe. I'm going to reread you again part of the definition or the uh, explanation I've given you about these forager ants. There's a specific kind of forager ant uh, that has been involved in what's called interactive teaching behavior. And I just think it's a great definition, not only in describing what they do, but in helping us to think through how we are to be living our lives as Christians. And so it reads this way, knowledgeable forager ants directly lead naive nestmates to newly discovered food sources by the excruciating, slow, and time-costly process of tandem running. So remember now, when it comes to those who believe in Christ, new believers are those who are naive. They're, they're ignorant. Remember, to be ignorant is not a bad thing. To remain ignorant is bad. Right? So it's, that's not a put-down. Someone may be a new believer. There's a lot of things they don't know. In fact, what we often learn as believers is we learn how ignorant we really are of many things. So this isn't a put-down on anybody. This is just explaining what these ants do. And as the scripture says, we are to go to the ants and to study them and then to consider the way they live and apply those things to our life. This tandem running that is described here is described in this manner. The follower thereby obtains knowledge that it would not have had it not been tutored. And this is at the expense of the nestmate teacher. Both leader and follower are acutely sensitive to the progress of their partner. For example, the leader slows down when the follower lags too far behind and speeds up when the follower gets too close, while the follower does the opposite. One of the things that's interesting here is that it says that the leader and the follower are acutely sensitive to the progress of the partner. And so as before, as we were talking about fellowship and how we are to 
uh, follow what the scripture says about fellowship. And then we kind of talked a bit about how we are to truly pray for each other. This praying for each other should be based on you and I being sensitive towards each other in the sense that we truly care about our growth as individuals in Christ and our sensitivity to that to recognize or to see where people are so that we can pray more specifically for them. So the sensitivity then is not necessarily the sensitivity that, that it leads you in how the world normally thinks about being sensitive, that you don't offend somebody. It is being acutely in tune with other individuals because you truly care about them. We, don't, we used to use the word sensitive that way a great deal. It's a little less often nowadays. But the idea is to be, as we would say, maybe to be sensitive to someone's needs. So the idea is that we are very acutely watching and observing others. Not like a stalker does, but as a parent when they watch their child, wanting them to progress and to grow. And so that's what this is talking about uh, here in this definition about these forager ants. So then, as we discussed last week, discipleship is to focus on growing in maturity. And it includes two things. It is both teaching, passing on of information, as well as life transformation. We saw in the Gospels, this is accomplished, uh, really in the time that Jesus uh, was with his disciples. It was literally accomplished by them following him around. Wherever he went, they went to learn from the, not only the things that he taught, but the things that he was living out, because they were with him all the time. They ate together, they slept together, they did everything together. And so there was continual teaching and mentoring taking place the whole time. In the epistles, then, we moved on, and we saw that the concept, even though the word disciple or discipleship isn't used that often, uh, there is this idea of being uh, someone that should be imitated, or the idea of example, or as we saw in the Amplified, that we are to set the pattern for others. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, Paul says, Therefore I urge you, imitate me. Again, when he was saying that, that wasn't a statement of arrogance. What he was telling them is that I seek to live my life to please God and to get to know him better. If you imitate what I'm doing, the same thing is going to happen for you. And that's why he says, For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will... Remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. So he does want to influence them very heavily. He wants them to imitate him. He, want, he sends Timothy to them so Timothy can remind them of the way he is living. It's not just what he knows. It's the way he's living out what he knows. You and I should have that desire. Now, we don't always think of it this way. Uh, But I know this, that as parents, when we raise our children, normally we want to be the number one influence in their life. And you should want to be. We want to teach them about life. We want to give them knowledge. We also want to pass on to them how to live that out. Sometimes our problem is, is we don't think of it that way. We just somehow think it's just going to happen. It's not just going to happen. They're not just going to pick up stuff. In fact, for, for many different reasons, it seems the things they pick up the quickest are all of our bad habits. So we have to you know, really focus on teaching them the good things. So the idea then within the body of Christ is the less mature believers, and again remember that when we say that someone is immature, that's not always a put down. Now it may be if the person's been a believer for 30 years, you know, they should be much more mature than perhaps they are. But again, those who are less mature uh, oftentimes refers to those who are still young in the Lord. 
So the less mature believers interact with the more mature believers who are incarnating Christ's character. They're living it out in the flesh. The less mature believer becomes more like Christ by spending time with the more mature believer because they are seeing the truths of Christianity lived out in someone and it makes those truths real. This is what we are all to be doing all the time. It, it should be a natural thing in the same way that when you parent your children, when your children are, you're always the parent. When your children are young, you're always leading them, always. You're always teaching them, whether it's by example, by words, or by both. Sometimes we're teaching them by things we don't do as well as things that we do, that we are doing. The idea, again, is that you're, you're always parenting your children. And so when it comes to this, we're always to be emulating Christ and always seeking to influence others. That's not a bad thing to say that. When someone says, you're just trying to make me like you. Yes, I am. Hopefully it's in the, the right area. But absolutely. So when it comes to what's really behind all that, how do we help someone? Again, remember that uh, the helping, helping someone become like Christ can seem like a very overwhelming task. Sometimes we allow the devil to get the best of us. We know we're not perfect. He reminds us we're not perfect. And then we shun our responsibility. Well, I really can't do that. I'm, I mean, I, I have my own problems to work out. Well, then get with it. Stop using that as an excuse. God has never said, when you become perfect, then you can disciple others. Just like he doesn't tell us, when you get your act together, then you can have children. We usually have our children when we're, when we're young, when we have lots of energy and we're still very foolish. So we're all learning together along the way. And so, again, this idea of discipleship is not something that we wait for necessarily to where, well, you know, when I, and, when, and I don't know, when, it, when is that? Is it when you've been a believer for five years or is it when you've been a believer for ten years? I think we need, to, we need to get after it, so to speak, right away. What areas can we help believers? How, how can we help them to grow? You know, there's, there's not a list of things in the Bible for that. There are a few lists about things we are to teach, but there's no real official list. There's no assignments that we are to give. There's not a, a set curriculum that's established in the Bible. There's a lot of curriculums we can get out of the Bible. And how long does it take to do all these things? Those are pretty important questions. They're not really answered specifically in the Bible. As I said, there's no set of lessons. There's no topics that are listed. There's no certain skills that are prescribed. But the Bible does give us a lot of clues and insight as to how we can help prompt and nurture discipleship in others. So we see a few examples. We'll go through these real quick in the Old Testament, and then we'll get down to the nitty-gritty when it gets down to the New Testament, because it gets much more specific. But in the, in the Old Testament, the, the, word, the word discipleship, it's a, a terminology that's pretty rare. It's not really used in the Old Testament. But it does speak often about walking in the ways of someone else, whether it's for good or for evil. We have Samuel, Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezra. Uh, they all had their followers. In addition to these examples uh, from Israel's social structure, um, there is, uh, there's a lot of one-on-one and two-to-one two kind of relationships that are noteworthy. There's Moses and Joshua. The Bible refers to Joshua as Moses' aid or servant, even from his youth. Joshua served with Moses, accompanying him on the mountain uh, when he received the commandments and, and he was leading in his place and on his behalf. Moses commissioned Joshua in the sight of the people and they gave him authority from God. Moses taught Joshua lessons uh, that Moses himself had learned from God. Moses rebuked Joshua for being a narrow-minded thinker once in the book of uh, Numbers in chapter 11. He also gave him the spirit of wisdom. Moses uh, was instructed to strengthen and encouraged 
and to encourage Joshua. And he was both giving and teaching Joshua the law in order to make Joshua the leader he needed to be. Joshua 11.15 says, Just as the Lord had commanded Moses his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua. And so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all the Lord had commanded Moses. So he was discipled well by Moses. We're familiar with Elijah and Elisha. God told Elijah whom to choose as his successor, which was Elisha. Because of their close relationship, Elisha referred to Elijah as his father. Elisha was so influenced by Elijah that when Elijah departed, Elisha asked for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. He wasn't asking that so he could be more powerful than the prophet Elijah. He was asking that so that he would be wise and he would know what to do and how to do it. So that he would have confidence in God. That's, he, was, he was so untrusting of himself and lacked so little confidence in himself in a proper way that he asked for a double portion of the same spirit that, that Elijah had because he knew that he needed it. And that was why he asked for it. Elijah, like Joshua, uh, did things similar. I mean, Elisha, like Joshua, uh, uh, like Joshua, did things similar to what his master had done and therefore confirmed that he'd become like his master. When it comes to the New Testament, the writers have attempted uh, to find in the epistles one dominant theme, theme relating to imitation. But the epistles focus on several different themes. And so I want to begin to look at those. Because these are the things that we as believers need to be aware of. So that we are not only becoming like Paul and becoming like Jesus, but so that we are passing these things on. We are teaching them and living them out before our children, our grandchildren, as well as others. If you are a Christian and you have children, it is the responsibility that God has given you to disciple your children, period. The church is to come alongside you and help you with that, for the church is never meant to do that for you. It's always a supplement. So if the only spiritual education your children are receiving is what they get at church, then you're failing as a parent. You have turned aside from your responsibility. It is your responsibility, period. And the church, again, is the supplement to that. So when it comes to the things that the Bible speaks of as to what we are to pass on, what we are to live out in front of others, this is the things that we are to do. Number one, we'll put these all three together. There is humility, self-sacrifice, and unconditional love. Now again, too often we don't think about passing on these traits, these characteristics to our children, to our grandchildren, and to those around us. But we need to because we are Christians. Paul admonished the Corinthian believers to imitate him as he imitated Christ. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. That's in verse 1 of chapter 11. That verse comes at the end of a discussion about releasing one's own desires and freedoms and doing only those things that do not offend others. So to keep that in context, too often what happens is we come to chapter 11, verse 1, and we immediately separate that from what he said previously. The important thing to do is when he, when he encourages them to imitate him is let's go back and see what he had done. So go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and I'll begin reading in verse 23. And let's look at the discussion. Paul says this, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. 
Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. It's the first thing you can teach them. We need to teach our children this, to not seek your own, but to seek out and to do things for the well-being of others. So this is more than just sharing. Verse 25, eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. If any of those who do not believe invite you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no questions for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you and for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. So in that discussion then, we should be teaching our children that there are times that there are things you can do and there are times that you shouldn't. And one of the guiding factors here, as he gives this example, is that there are times that, yes, we do modify our behavior for the sake of others. Period. That's not being a people pleaser. Now, you can be doing it to be a people pleaser, and that's the wrong motive. We are to be following what we believe God has told us how we are to live. We follow the guidelines he's given us. And he does at times tell us to consider the feelings and the state of other people. And so we are to think, not only am I to think this way, I'm to pass this on to my children. You are to pass this on to your grandchildren. You are to pass this on to those that you teach in Sunday school. We are to pass this on to to younger believers in the church. You see those who get baptized, you know who the younger believers are. Uh, And so then when you're around them, you should be consciously thinking about how we live and at times even explain it to them. You, you invite new believers to your home for dinner. There may be appropriate times you say, you know, you know why we do this? Tell them. It's not bragging. It could be. You have to make sure that you're not doing that. But there's nothing wrong with telling them why we do certain things a certain way. Explain to them. Show them the characteristics. It's important, though, in fact, if sometimes it's very important for those who are mature in the faith and have been married for a while, it's very important for you to invite younger married couples to your home. Because what they, hopefully they'll see this, what they need to see is how the older couple speaks to each other out of great respect. Now, it doesn't mean it's wrong if they tease each other and laugh and have a good time. That's okay. But it needs to be that they, what they're seeing there is that even that is playful and there's not that, you know, because sometimes there's an edge. We say we're playing and we're not. I know you know what I'm talking about. It's just, you know, the inside stab, twist the knife. Because that, they need to see how Christians treat each other who've been married for 20 years, 25 years, 30 years. That's why it is so unbelievably harmful when the ladies go off and the older Christian ladies talks about putting up with their husband. What is that about? Even if it's all true, that is not the time and place to do that. And why it's bad at times for when the guys are talking and the guy begins to say some stuff about his wife. Now again, there's a difference because you know something. Well, you know how it is with the wife. You know she's the one that's the boss. And so we laugh at that. But you need to make sure that they're not thinking that you're serious about that. And so it's important. Very important. In fact, this is normally not said. There's all the, you know, the kind of, you know, 
joking around or whatever, but, you know, it's good and very helpful for those who are mature in, uh, in Christ every now and then to take the young guy to the side for five seconds and say, I just want you to know my wife and I have a great relationship. I respect her. We joke around like this, but I want you to know something. Don't you ever talk negative seriously about your wife in the presence of others. Just something you need to hold on to and then leave. Doesn't take long. They need to hear it. He needs to hear it from you. If you hear about some guy, uh, uh, you, you have, let's say you have the young couples over and, and the guy is, uh, you know, he's young and he's athletic. And, you know, I knew this, uh, and, and I've known this in several different cases, but let's say the guy is playing like on three softball teams. Okay, you need to pull him aside and say, son, don't, now don't begin by saying this. It's none of my business. Because then why are you talking to him? It is your business. As believers, it is our business. And so you say to him, I know you're young. I know you have a lot of energy. I know you really love playing sports. And I know that you really enjoy playing softball. I think that's great. You're in three leagues. That's wrong. You're sinning against your wife. And if they have children or your potential children, and you need to, you need to fix that. You need to pick one. Because playing on three... I don't want to hear excuses. I don't want any explanations. And don't tell me your wife is okay with it. Because it doesn't matter if your wife is okay with it. You need to just play on one. And even that might change when you have a kid. They need to hear it. But you know what? We don't say that. Sometimes we don't say it because we just haven't thought about it. Sometimes we don't say that because we don't care. Sometimes we don't say it because we're cowards. We're Christians. If you've been married for 20, 30 years, you have got to know that this guy playing on three softball teams is just not really good for his marriage. His, he and his wife may not have any fights, but it's not going to happen now. But that root of bitterness is going to begin to boil up inside of her. And we need to, we need to, we need to be aware of that. That's what we're talking about here with all this stuff. Verse 30. Uh, verse 29. He says, conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake uh, with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? Therefore, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. To imitate Paul and Christ is to seek the goods of others, not one's own good. Remember Matthew 20, verse 28? What did it say? Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. In another place, Paul wrote, Therefore I exhort you, be imitators of me. That's in 1 Corinthians 4. That verse comes at the end of Paul's first diatribe against the Corinthian church, in which he spoke against strife, and division in the church that was brought about by pride. Paul said that he had served them, even though as an apostle he had a right, in a sense, to lord it over them. By serving each other, they would be imitators of Paul. And so we need to teach these things. We need to teach people how, at times, it's strife and division. It's wrong, especially when it's brought about by pride. Like there, are, like there are some things we must disagree on. There are some things we must argue about. We must it would be to deny Christ not to. But when it comes to these things that are brought about by pride, we need, to, we need to teach others. This is what it means by discipleship. Discipleship, often we think of, well, that's when two people 
uh, you know, the more mature with the younger, and you set aside a time to go through a book, to go through the Bible, and to teach. And that is part of it. But the part we most often miss out on is this part, the ongoing thing. That's just a natural part of our relationships. How many people, this doesn't really happen anymore because of how families are, but there's, I've listened to other, many men tell me how, they, how much they learned just from being with their grandfather. Well, you know, we live close to my grandfather, and my grandfather's, you know, working in the barn or whatever, and man, I learned a lot from him. Now, what do they mean? They don't mean that my grandfather made me sit down and take notes. Is that what they mean? What they mean is, is they were just talking about life as they did stuff together. And grandfather was passing on his wisdom. And we need to make sure that we do the exact same thing. Please make sure it's the wisdom that comes from Scripture. Not, you know. Don't be, well, son, I want to tell you, I learned from life that pretty much I just say whatever my wife wants to hear, just so we can get along. Okay, that is not what we should be passing on to them. We need to go back and what, what does the Word of God say? And so it's important for us. And so here, when Paul then said that, and so again, it's not wrong. How, in fact, I think there are times that would be pretty powerful for a grandfather who, especially the ones who are blessed to be able to be with their grandchildren a lot. That in those moments, you have to pick the moment, you've got to know when it's right, to say, I really do hope that you do imitate me in some of the things that I do. Especially this. And tell them. They will remember that. That will have an impact on them. They may not follow it, but the Lord will use it. There may be times when, when they remember it when they're 23 and things aren't going well and they think, oh, suddenly the words of granddad come back. It's powerful. Or grandma, or whatever the case may happen to be. Too often as Christians, we have given up all the influence that God intends us to have on our children and grandchildren and others. And remember that when you give it up, there are plenty of people willing to take the reins. The world is willing. The talking heads on TV are willing. The celebrities are willing. The drug dealer on the corner is willing. They're willing to invest in those you love. And too often we just open the door. And we just say, yeah, I'm a Christian. You know, I go to church on Sunday. We may not say that, but that's exactly how we live. Our church attendance is a phone app. Got to add it to my phone. Maybe I want people to know I got a church app. Yep. I, I pay my dues. Whatever that's supposed to mean. We're just taking all the, the essence of Christianity and just throwing it out the window. And what we're teaching others is that, man, it really doesn't have that much to do with life. That, yeah, I want to make sure I'm going to heaven, and that's about it. And we throw away all the great things that God's given us. Like when I mentioned the way we can eat our food. I'm serious about that. That's a great way to teach the young ones how we think about God about everything. That's teaching them theology. When I would take my kids when they were young and we'd go on walks and then, you know, kids do all kind of weird stuff, you know, and they just like, you know, they want to climb up on the wall and they want to jump off. You know, you, you can turn it into a lesson, you know, because sometimes we say, wow, that's awesome. I can't believe you did that. that. You're such a good athlete. That's good. Why don't you go ahead and add the other part? Explain to them how it is their legs work that way. That's how God made us. 
And we can be thankful to God that he gave us that because it's fun to be able to jump off a wall. I wish I could do that now. You see me jumping off the wall, you know there's something wrong. And don't try to catch me, just help me get up. Because that'd be really bad if you try to catch me. So the thing is, is that we, we need, but we need to be thinking that way. And too often we just don't. So, we, so when we pray, we need to ask God, Lord, please help me. It's like I'm living my life blindly. And I don't want to live that way. I want to be aware of you in every situation. And I want to pass it on to my children, to my grandchildren. I want to pass it on to others. So many young believers in churches do not really know where most of you older ones stand on anything. Except maybe politics. They need to know that you love the Lord. Part of it is what we do together. I had one lady one time, she was very, very old. She's not with us, she was visiting for several months. And she, this is what she told me, and I thought it was a great thing. She says, this is such a manly church. And I was thinking, yeah. No, I was not thinking that. I was thinking, what are you talking about? Like, manly church. And this is what she noticed. You know, the guys take the offering, and there's some, it's always, I don't know if you notice, it's always the guy on the left, my right, that's praying. It's because there's a mic there. But anyway, uh, but, so there's nothing magic about it, but there's always someone different praying. She had never been to a church where so many different men prayed out loud. We have different men in the church come and read and pray. We do that on purpose. She had never seen that. It's usually like the same four guys, the pastor and a couple others that do all the praying, all of these different people. She said, man, that's, that's impressive. It is. It's not enough. I guarantee you, you take some of these families with little kids, and you, you know, we like other people's kids, normally because they can take them home when we're done, but, but also, I guarantee you that they would love it when you can take those moments and just let them know how much you love the Lord or that you're praying for them, that you like them, that you want to encourage them, that you encourage them to grow. What a great thing. We should all be, that's when we, you know, we do our, the parent-child dedication on Father's Day, you know, there's a thing that we all read. Hopefully you've paid attention because you're guilty before God because we're making a promise to the Lord. And part of that is that not only that we're going to pray for these young families and their kids, and not only that we're going to encourage them, we're going to help them. And that doesn't mean just if the dad and the mom lose their job, we help them pay rent. That also means we help them with their kids. That means we also let their kids know how much we love the Lord and how we're seeking to live in obedience to what God says. They need to hear that. In our culture, obeying anything is always viewed in a very negative light. What we need them to see is that being obedient is not a negative thing. It's a great thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's freeing. Share with them some of the old stories that, you know, maybe your wife doesn't want to hear anymore, but their kids, these kids haven't heard it. So tell them the story and make sure you get to the part of what God had taught you and what you learned. It's a good thing. But too often we don't do that. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul encouraged Christians to consider others better than themselves, to serve others' interests above their own. To serve others is to follow the example that Christ set. That's expounded as you continue to read on through chapter 2. And then in Ephesians 5, Paul states that the believers are to be imitators of God because God demonstrated his unconditional love for them. This self-sacrificial, unconditional love is to govern the husband and wife, child, parent, slave, master, employee, employee relationship. All that's discussed in Ephesians. We need to pass that on. 
And so we can pass on to others how at times they need to be, they need to make sure they're looking out for their wife's best interests and this is what you do. You need to be looking out for your husband's best interests and this is what you do. You need to be, you need, in fact, there are times that you, you know, because we, we see this sometimes as kids and we shake our heads, I can't believe those kids are so disrespectful to their parents. Well, maybe they should hear that from you. You don't have to be negative. You know, it's not when you grab them by the collar and stick them up on the wall and say, let me tell you something, kid. Of course, sometimes we'd like to do that. However, the idea is, is that we need to let them know what we're seeing. Say, yeah, I just want you to know something. Said, I know your mom and dad aren't perfect. You, know, you, need to, you should respect them because it honors God. That's what God wants. That's it. But too often we're worried about that. Here's the thing that we do sometimes as adults. We're worried that other kids either won't like us or think that we're cool. We passed the cool stage a long time ago. <laughs> All right, so you shouldn't even be worried about that. Just go ahead and realize that you're not cool. And, you know, it's okay. But we need to do what's right and pass it on. But, let them, but we need to do it because we care about them, because we love them. Now, I know that's hard, especially if you're not used to doing that. But ask God to give you courage. Ask God to give you love. Great love for others. What I often do in my life, I don't do this perfectly at all. Uh, sometimes I'm not even close, but this is how I, I try to do things. When it comes to other kids, other people's children, I ask myself, if these were my grandchildren, what would I do? And that's what I do. When I meet other adults, if I, I ask myself, so if this was my sister, because I don't have any brothers, if this is my sister, what would I do? This is not hard. I mean, I'm a Christian, but that helps me to kind of flesh it out and, and, and bring it down to the nitty-gritty that, yeah, I'm being selfish right now. Because this is my sister, man. I'd drop everything and do it just like that. If that was my grandchild, I definitely would not let them do that. And so I'm go- but, I, but I'm not going to be harsh. I'm not going to be harsh at all. I'll end with this. One time I was, my granddaughter, my oldest granddaughter, was sitting on my lap this several years ago. I forget what was going on, but she was not having a good day. And uh, I've never had to spank my grandchildren. Thank goodness. I will if I have to, but I've never had to do that. So I'm very grateful. So I was talking to her, and I, and I said, sweetie, and we talked about what was going on. And I said, if you, if you don't stop, I said, I'm going to be very, 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 very sad because I'm going to have to spank you. And I don't want to do that. And I, I, I would like you to do this. And I told her what she needed to do. I said, would that be okay? She said, oh, yeah. I don't want to make you sad. Now, when she said that, she meant it in two ways. Number one, she didn't want me to have to spank her. I'm sure that terrified her. But number two, she didn't want to make me sad. Our children and grandchildren are often motivated by that. And you may be surprised how many younger believers may be motivated by that. And we need to use it to our advantage. You want to call that manipulation? Whatever. Manipulation is not always bad. You don't, you don't want to be deceitful with it. Or malicious. But to manipulate somebody in that sense, it's, I don't think that's evil. That's what we need to speak up. Because discipleship is what all of us need to be doing. And churches that don't engage in this, the individuals who don't engage in this thoughtfully, we're failing each other. We're failing God. And that is often why God doesn't bless churches 
the way he, in a sense, desires to, is because we are like the nation of Israel. And we don't do this because we're running after other gods. Other things are much more important to us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for really your incredible patience with us because at times many of us do pursue other things as more important than you. We are worshiping idols. And you do not treat us like we deserve to be treated. You are still patient and kind and gracious. And we're very thankful. I pray that you would help us, Father, even though at times it can be excruciating to think all the time as Christians, to think as a Christian, to think about how we are to be as a Christian, how we are to live and how we are to interact with others. We know, Lord, that we're not going to talk about Jesus all the time. But, Father, too often we speak about Jesus never. So we pray that you would help us to learn how to be Christian friends and how to be Christian family and how to truly care for each other as we ought to. Knowing, Lord, that as we strive for this, we will be the beneficiaries. It will bring glory to you, and that will be a wonderful thing. But we will benefit from it so greatly in so many ways. So much of our life will be filled and full and satisfying. So, Father, we pray that you would help us. And, Father, we are in desperate need of your help because we are so easily swallowed up by the world. And it seems that the world has so much to offer us. And we so gladly and vigorously go after it. So, Father, we need a, we need a rap on the head. And we pray that you would give us that, but in a very kind and gentle way. Help us to learn. And Lord, if we continue to pursue the world, I pray that we would just have a growing and a gnawing on the inside that what we are pursuing is just an absolute waste of time and that it's just empty. Those who seek to pursue the things we've spoken of, I pray, Lord, that you would fill us with such a great love and a zest for life And Father, we never want that to go away. And so we thank you. And we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.